Lauren Ryan. Welcome to the Greenhouse Talent Makers Studio. We're live right now interviewing forward-thinking leaders on every side of the hiring process. Great hiring is not just the result of great recruiters working their magic. It's a company-wide commitment that's vital to building amazing workplaces. And it all starts with our leaders. At Greenhouse, we know that great leaders are talent makers. They understand what it takes to elevate hiring to a strategic capability that pushes the business forward. And it's not easy. That's why we've asked some brilliant folks to join us and share the challenges they've overcome and the lessons that they've learned on the way to aligning their people strategy to their business strategy. So join me and get ready to learn what it means to be a talent maker. Silver, Chief Heart Officer of VaynerMedia. As VaynerMedia's first ever Chief Heart Officer, Claude Silver unlocks employees' full potential by forging human-to-human connections, creating cultures of belonging, empowering teams to be purpose-driven, efficient, and strong, and infuses the agency with empathy, humanity, and optimism. Claude founded and ran an outdoor adventure and surf company in San Francisco, where she was in the cold Pacific Ocean coaching 275 days a year. So this, alongside with her many years in leadership positions at major advertising agencies and training in positive psychology, has given her a unique perspective in servant leadership and team building. Welcome, Claude. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Lauren. Great to be here. So to kick things off, um, tell us a little bit about what you love about working at VaynerMedia. Great. There's so many things I love about working at VaynerMedia. I think first and foremost, I love our CEO, Gary Vaynerchuk. He is an evangelist. He is an entrepreneur. He is in the business of yes. And he absolutely fundamentally believes in people. So with that as the umbrella or the soil bed, anything can happen. And we do believe in people. For me, I have an incredible ability, I think, to be a champion for people. It's something I've always done in my whole life. There's so much momentum going on from the minute you open the door. You know that we are in motion someplace. And it's not only because of what we're creating and our craft and the output to the clients. It's actually the life skills that we're teaching there. And I love doing that. I love being a part of the learning and the growing and the facilitation of that with humans. So you talked about... um teaching life skills and like it sounds like a culture of learning how have you been able to kind of take steps back over the last couple of years and be like oh it's, it's working like I, I have this kind of signal that what we're doing is instilling the types of values and skills that we're trying to yeah I love that question because I've been there five years I just had my anniversary, and I have seen people evolve from just coming out of university and really bright bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and oh my god what's going on I've never worked on an advertising agency floor before for. And then I see them evolve into getting engaged, getting married, uh, rising through the ranks, becoming a director, understanding why feedback is so important, really enveloping their own human skills, as well as excelling in ideation, creativity, curiosity, whatever it is that's, that they hone as their own. So the other thing is I spend so much time with people every day. I have uh, one-on-ones on a daily basis, 15-minute basis. And in those one-on-ones, I'm actually witnessing a breakthrough. And I know that because I get chills. I mean, I watch someone have an aha. 
which gives me an aha. And uh, so I see it in motion, whether or not it's an everyday thing on a 15-minute basis or throughout years and months. It's something that I can actually see that they've moved the puck forward in their own life and in their own career. And by the way, they may leave, which is actually absolutely wonderful and fine. I feel honored and humbled that we had them for as long as we did. And then just like kids, you know, they go out into the wild. Right. As long as you can create an experience where both the company and the individual can look back at it and be like, okay, we're both better for having been through that together. That's like the ideal situation to create. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of... um, a lot of what you just expressed would come out in kind of like a development, uh, career development, career ladders structure internally. And how do you make sure that candidates get excited about the, the development opportunities that they'll have internally and like know that that's part of why they should join? Yeah. So it's part of our recruiting process. And it's a pretty thorough recruiting process, whether or not they are first doing the phone screen with our recruiters or they're coming in for round robin interviews or with their exact hiring manager. We expect that they're going to be taking th- taken through how important our L&D curriculum is, how important it is to uh, performance plan with them, how important it is to walk through certain um, milestones of training. And that's really important, whether or not it's training at scale for the masses or niche training in your said skill your department. For example, media, you're going to learn how to place Facebook ads. But in creative, you're going to learn how to write spectacular tweets. So it's something we really spend a thorough amount of time with each and every candidate as they come in and start to get an idea, flavor, feel of what VaynerMedia is all about. Have you found that it's one of the things that helps differentiate you in the like competition for talent? Is that one of the pillars or is it not the top thing that candidates are kind of considering as they go through their process? Well, I think the top pillar is the culture. Yeah. And L&D is, is wrapped into the culture. So people are talking about the VaynerMedia culture here, there, and everywhere. And that's something I'm really, really proud of. I mean, we have a culture of belonging, and I, I'd like to say a culture of bravery. And I, I think you have to be brave in today's market. We're moving so quickly, so, so quickly. And everything is accessible within milliseconds, which is very different from me, a Gen Xer, uh, where I punched in and punched out, basically. So people are, are coming here because we do things differently. We think differently. And we have a culture that really wraps you up in a familiarity, um, uh, compassion, bravery, momentum. It's more than just empathy and kindness, which is something we talk a lot about. Bravery seems like a really interesting one to try and test for in a hiring process and try and find alignment with. How do you, how have you found success in creating the space for candidates to express their bravery in the hiring process and, and feeling comfortable that there's going to be a match there? Yeah. So one of the questions that I ask all the time is, you have a blank canvas in front of you, paint me your perfect job. And what I'm looking for there is is curiosity. I'm looking for risk. I'm looking to see if they are going to paint me the picture of the job description because I don't need that. I have that. Or dream with me and take that step forward. I think that's really, really big. Of course, another question is, when was a time that you messed up? When was a time that you turn someone into a hero? Those are questions that I'm looking for as well. And, and I don't interview everyone. I interview, you know, maybe VP on up. Uh, but these are things that we've put into our interview guidelines and then expect people to put their own kind of je ne sais quoi on the question. Leaning further into the culture conversation, um, 
Tell me a little bit about how you build a culture that nurtures individuality, allows people to be brave in a setting where you do have such a, a dynamic uh, leader. So we, you know, it's the bottom of Maslow's pyramid, the safety, shelter, security, and then you have belonging. So belonging is the utmost of importance. However, you cannot have belonging without physical and psychological safety. And this is something that we are spouting from the rooftops there. Diversity and inclusivity is job number one in terms of creating that type of safety and that kind of belonging that I'm looking for. So that means we need to be hiring diversity of, of, of the obvious, you know, race, sexuality, ethnicity, diversity of thinking, seen and unseen handicap, um, dyslexic, you name it. And that's really important. But most importantly is diversity of thinking. And the fact that you are going to bring something different to us. It might be in the same zip codes of what we're looking for, but you have a different slant on how you want to present a big idea, for example. So belonging is essential. Connection comes right after. I mean, we're wired to, human beings are wired to belong and wired to connect. And so how do we create that connection? Job number one is every single employee, every single employee, CFO on down to a junior copywriter, starts with four days of orientation. And you are in class together. So you have just made 10 new buddies, 20 new buddies, 15 new buddies of all different uh, hierarchies, if you will, of all different roles. You have buddy lunches. You sit down with your team. It's a school. You know, we put people through uh, this idea of getting to know kind of what are, what's the secret sauce because we don't say the secret sauce on our website. So you get the Willy Wonka, you get the, the golden ticket, you start, and you immediately are set up with a team, with coaches. We do 45-day check-ins, we do 60-day check-ins, and of course we do a 90-day review. So you know, my finger is on the pulse. My, my team's finger is, is monitoring that. Have you met with your manager? Have you, have you had a one-on-one? -on -one? Has he or she explained expectations and responsibilities? Um, have you made, made any friends outside of your group? Have you gone to lunch? You know, human things. Human things that they probably don't even expect to be asked 45 yeah. days in. Yeah. Um, I feel like creating a culture of belonging is one of those things that can be hard, right? Hard to know how it's going, particularly because I think belonging is one of those things that kind of happens in every corner of the organization, every meeting, every desk side chat. Was there ever a time when you were kind of like looking around and being like, I actually don't think we've cracked it yet or like, or we had it and something happened and, and we need to course correct a little bit. What did that process look like of trying to get it to where you wanted it to be? How did you put that in place? So that happens often because we're, we're, we're dealing with people and lives and, and people have stuff that they come into work with, which we want to honor and hold and respect. And they have stuff that's happening at work, 13 hour day, a pitch they didn't win, so forth and so on. And so there's going to be moments in, in my day where I feel like, oh my gosh, the wheels are shaking on that bus over there. We need to go triple down on that and investigate what's happening. Uh, or everything actually feels good. I've done enough one-on-ones. I've talked to enough people. I got a good flavor for what's happening. My team has a good flavor. And I feel like we're good. That doesn't mean we can coast, though. That's when we kick into proactive you know, offense mode which is going and, and talking to those people that either, A, we think are good. We're, they're good. They've been with us for a while. We don't need to check in. We're talking to the quiet one over there that we don't know if they made any friends nine months in. So, you know, every day is a new day, and it has a new set of challenges new, and new opportunities for us to crack it, 
and I don't think the job will ever be done. So fortunately, I believe I'll have a job and, and those on my people and experience team will have a job. Yeah, I actually think a ton of it is that expectation setting that like you don't do a belonging initiative for a while and then like crack it and it and it sails on its own for a while. It, it will always be something that even if it feels quiet and like it's going well that you need to check in on and kind of have a system for taking a, a deeper pulse than maybe you get in your day-to-day job. It's a relationship and you have yeah. to do that with your friends and your partner, don't you? Right. And if you don't, what happens and it explodes in your face one day and you're like, but I thought we were good. So it's the same thing. And, and that's one of the things I talk quite a bit about is bringing that self, that whole self, that best self, that full self of who you are at your boozy brunch and who you are on the soccer team to work because we want all of you, warts and all, flowers and all, all of that stuff. And There's nothing that you could present to us with the exception of a health problem, a medical problem, that I don't believe we have, uh, we wouldn't have the solution for. It's people. Does it take uh, new hires a while to like really feel that? Yeah, so it does. My, uh, I, I meet with the new hires day one, every single orientation in New York, and then if I'm in another office, I'll do that there. And so they get a flavor of me, they get a flavor of why this role, of our culture, and why we care so much and of course it sinks it sinks in eventually or if I have the time and and I can meet with all those new hires within the first 90 days then even better but of course it's going to take a while and then what normally happens is either I've proactively reached out to them or they sit next to Billy or Sarah and Sarah goes you know what have you ever talked to Claude no. Okay, let me go call. It. Oh, the, then then that person comes in and they're like, oh, I can totally see why Sarah asked me to go talk to you. You know, not because I have any magic dust, but my job is to hold space and, and help them cultivate themselves, you know, turn them into a hero. So you can imagine that the conversation is going to be pretty cool, pretty inspirational and, and all on them. It's not about me. How do you get the other executives to join you in that journey and like scale you a little bit through the rest of the executive team also? It's, it's a mandate and it's a silent mandate and this is why. Gary is a people first person. This role was created to scale Gary. I have the same autonomy that he has with the exception of he's Gary and I'm Claude. But my role is to make any decision that he would make in a room. Okay, cool. All of the other C-suite are just like me. They just bring their own, you know, the, the, their own flavor to the conversations. But our CFO has plenty of one-on-ones, and he's all invested in people. He comes back from Los Angeles. He comes back from London, and he'll say like, da 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 da, the P&L, P&L. By the way, I sat down with Joey, and this is what I think Joey's facing. And then he hands it to me. Doesn't mean he and Joey won't have a relationship. They will. That's fantastic. But it is, it is an expectation. You wouldn't come to VaynerMedia if you didn't want to lead with your heart. It just wouldn't. Speaking about why you would come to VaynerMedia, uh, you come from a varied career. You've had experiences in lots of everything from outdoor adventure to leadership in uh, marketing and advertising. Tell me a little bit about why VaynerMedia was, the, and particularly VaynerMedia and Chief Heart Officer, was the right role for you and the right purpose for you. 
So I had worked at big advertising agencies for a long time. I was a digital native, even though I'm a different generation. Uh, and I was living in London, running a very large P&G accounts. I had been following Gary since 2009, and my best friend introduced me to Gary. And I thought, wow, okay, well, this is cool. The one thing I knew I wanted was to understand how he thinks because, I, again, I had been following him and I love the way, I love how outspoken he is because I'm not. And so when that opportunity came to move to New York and start with him, I jumped at it. So it was just like I knew I needed, I needed whatever was going to be in that bag of goodies and, and I'm fortunate that I, I'm in that bag of goodies now. I just knew it. I could see where my, my career was going to go, and that would have been great. However, I wanted to be closer to this. And, you know, for those people that don't know, I was hired as uh, his first senior vice president, a female leader. And 16 months later, I resigned. And I resigned because I told him I only cared about the people. I only care about the heartbeat of this place. I, I no longer was interested in the advertising and four months later, he had me come back. And in, the, in that conversation, he said, that's it. You're coming back as chief heart officer. I knew what that was because it's me. Uh, you know, it's a great, phenomenal title. What it is is, yeah, I'm a coach. I'm a mentor. I'm, a, I, I'm someone that believes in people. And I have a wonderful title to do that. So the, the fact that I can do my, what I call my life's work at this, at this incredible agency, and I speak advertising and I've been on those floors and so I'm very fluent in what it takes to get a campaign running I think only helps me and only helps the floor which is 850 people so it's a win-win for me I get to continue to learn every single day I'm able to share the things I've I have learned and and hope that it becomes a win-win for others I, you mentioned mentorship. I've read a lot about how you prioritize mentorship. Um, how, t taking your varied um, career and your current role, if someone came to you and said, like, I want to end up where you are, what advice would you have for them? And how does the diversity of your experiences kind of inform the advice on how someone should think about their own career development in that path? Yeah, I love that question. And it's a question I get every day, whether or not it's from VaynerMedia people or from the outside. And there's a couple things I'll say. One, play to your strengths. If you're a people person, then you know you're... If you know you're a people person, then you go all in on that. And if you don't have the opportunity to have a role like this or to be in the, you know, quote-unquote HR team, then you do you because it will, it will shine anyway. And whether or not you can do you there or you can go coach the soccer team, you have to make, you have to make sure you're expressing your love and appreciation for people. That's the first thing. Secondly, you know, ch culture change doesn't happen overnight. I mean, that's why, that's why we have great pieces of art today that were made 300 years ago. It takes a while to get into the zeitgeist. And so changing the culture and bringing a CHO role there or a chief inspiration officer or just like you <laughs> takes a while to get accepted if you don't work for someone like Gary who is a yes However, that, that should never block you from doing what comes naturally to you. So my, my input is continue to be you. Double, triple down on those strengths. If you're a person that has enough autonomy and authority to hold office hours and you want to mentor people on the side, go for it. You want to get a coaching certification, go for it. The thing is, is like continue to 
continue to do you. And the other part of your question is, my varied past is because I just didn't, I didn't know how to get from A, B to C. So I went A, F, P, you know, X, B. And that's just how Claude Silver learns. Uh, I'm a late bloomer and I know that. So, you know, my background in studying psychotherapy and, and spiritualities and of course that helps me because it's all human behavior and, and how I take that out of my bag of tricks every single day is dependent on the situation I'm in. So do you need to have a varied you know, career? Absolutely not. Do you want to go to you know, business school and go straight into marketing? Absolutely great. If you're a people person, you're a people person. I love your path for two reasons. One, um, I think it like releases a little bit of stress for people who are like sitting in the, their early or mid early career being like, how do I get to where I want to go? That there are so many paths to end up and they'll like kind of make sense in the rearview mirror potentially, but it's more about collecting the experiences and like leaning into what you're really good at, which I think releases you and gives you a little bit of freedom. And then also as we look at the talent function, uh, change over time, there are so many more folks in that role that have experience on the business side have been in the kind of on the advertising floor and can, as you said, marry those two things together, which I think only helps big picture help make those teams really, really strong. And so the more that we can kind of highlight that, I think the better for everyone. Yeah. I think I'll just piggyback off of that. The, the 16 year old and the 11 year old today are going to be a, the CEOs tomorrow, but B the jobs that they roll into, we don't even have jobs titles for that. They are going to be so experimental and experiential and innovative. And so we need to get ready for that. It is not a straight line. It's just not a straight line. It's just not. And, you know, we've got a 19-year-old working for us now. All of our interns are in. But we've got this 19-year-old. I sat down with him and he's decided not to go to university now. And he started hacking some World of Warcraft at 13 and made money wow, well, at 13, I was not doing that. And look at him now. And he is now getting what I would equate to a PhD program working at this advertising agency. You know, And we're so much more than an advertising agency. I mean, we, we create ads for our clients, but we're, I'd like to think we're, you know, telling stories and we're doing it in a way that is extremely hyper-relevant for today's culture. I was also not hacking video games at 13. I'd like to say I was, I was not. Um, you've mentioned a, a culture of yes. Is that what you've yes. called it? Okay. How does that culture of yes influence your hiring process or how does it infiltrate your hiring process? I love that question because it's, it's so relevant to a conversation that uh, myself and the recruiting team had with Gary the other day. We and the hiring managers can be slow as molasses. Ah, it's not the right, oh, the copy wasn't the right thing. You know, wine, 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 still not looking, looking under rocks. It's not the right person. And yet we are, we need to, we need to make some significant hires right now. And he went through every single open hire. And then he went through every single person we had on staff. And he said, that person moves into there because he knows this person. Those two people that you wanted to hire that, that gen, that, uh, that group creative director said no to, let me call him. Hey, what was wrong with that person? They're hired. So, I mean, you know, and that is, again, I work with a really unique unique CEO. But what I loved about that is he says, he recognizes that we get in our own way 
absolutely in our own way. And, you know, we're looking for unicorns. And guess what? Like, a unicorn isn't always a unicorn. It's a freaking horse, you know? And be cool with that. Or it's a zebra. Because you might be just, wow, that a zebra is even better than a unicorn. I mean, I'm being funny and facetious, but you get it. Like, if you wanted... If you wanted me to be a chief HR officer, you got the wrong person. But the fact that you wanted me to be a chief heart officer and come with whatever I came with, I'm the right person. So you have to you have to bend the rules a little bit. And you also, I think, you know, we talked about speed earlier. Like, it's we got to go. You got to go. And if you make a poor hire, yes, we paid for it. I definitely know that. But I also think if you're if you're hiring for skill set fit, which is what we do, and culture addition, let's go. Like you can teach someone to write a tweet, and I, I don't mean to minimize it, but so in uh, we it, it's a it's a um, it's a teeter totter every day. And through those experiences of watching Gary do that, does the is the recruiting team and the hiring managers then able to like move in that direction? Yeah. There's like a little bit of So it was two weeks ago and I we probably made ten hires since then. And that really greased the wheels. It really, really did because otherwise that team is sitting there without the resources and what does that do? Only burn people out. And That's create wild. ineffective work. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about what great talent making looks like to you. And to me that means the folks in your business that are best at partnering with the hiring teams to really together make sure you're bringing in the right talent to the organization. What do they do and how do you make sure as many folks internally are operating that way? Yep. Um, Okay, great talent makers are going to be great hiring managers that have written the brief in the way that allows our talent team to go after and find that great zebra horse or unicorn. That's the first thing. If you're writing a a cookie-cutter brief, you're going to get probably 10 of the wrong people. But if you give us that type of uniqueness, that unique flair of what they really need, they have had to have worked on alcohol brands. That's very helpful, you know. So the hiring hiring managers, and that's usually, you know, VP on up, our CFO, who's obviously helping us with bands, salary bands, and, and being strategic in that very important. Uh, We have a a financial operations team, which is doing the resourcing for each and every department and account. And and that's letting us know where we can hunt in terms of uh, salaries, which is really helpful as well. So, but the hiring managers are, you know, hands down the most important that we could work, that we could work with. Um, Because the recruiting team sits with me, I think that also adds some gravitas to it, and it's not sequestered into the back room. So I think that helps also because, you know, like, let's go. I mean, what else are we doing here? Let's go. Lots of let's go. I like that. (laughs) Has there been a time where you had to raise the bar or recalibrate on how hiring managers partner with you or what you expect from them and make sure that they're reaching that? Yeah. So I'm going to just say maybe once every six months we have to rejigger it. And what are we rejiggering? Hey, when you're, uh, you have interviewees here, candidates here, like show up. Hey, you know, be in that meeting room. Hey, bottle of water. I mean, like the simple things that matter though, because that's our brand. So I think the biggest thing is the scheduling, which can be a real pain in the neck to everyone, right? Because we're all overbooked. However, you told us that you needed this creative director and you needed this creative director yesterday. So I would imagine 
if that's the case, you will move anything you can with the exception of a very important client meeting to be at that interview. So those are the types of things that we have to rejigger, and it's understandable. It's super understandable, and we just need to just do a little reset. Describe for me a little bit about how the culture of hiring has changed at VaynerMedia since when you joined five years ago to today. Like, what is, how have you moved it? Yeah, I mean, you saw that I rolled my eyes. So when I started five years ago, I was employee 389. We still hired for culture fit, which meant legitimately, you love Dave Matthews. I love Dave Matthews. You saw Dave at at Red Rocks, Governor's Island. I was there too. You're hired. Cool. I'm going to teach you how to do everything. Right? I mean, that feels good. So as soon as I started in the CHO role, I changed it from um, hiring, uh, from uh, uh, culture fit to culture addition, skill set fit, which means we are looking for that horse, that zebra, that unicorn. And by the way, if your values are in our zip code and you're a good person and we've asked you those questions to know that you believe in right and wrong uh, and you believe in turning other people into champions, then that's probably a good hire. But I don't expect you to love Dave Matthews. You know, if you love um, alternative music, cool. If you love folk music, cool. But like, you don't need to be a Dave fan. That's the truth. It's the truth. And I feel like even though we have talked about as an industry, like culture fit being um, a red herring sometimes, or actually something more dangerous than that. A lot of orgs, I think, still tend to operate in the like, oh, I liked you. Like, we speak the same language. We even, we speak at the same pace. Like, that... I went to your school. Like, that's a huge one. But who am I going to get if we hire everyone that went to Brown? They're all going to be alike. And, and, and more than anything, I think we need diversity of everything on that floor. And so we need to open it up. How did you move the hiring teams to agree and, like, to be competent at assessing that different lens of what fit could be? The most amazing thing is, again, I think probably because they sit with me and so, uh, you know, we're together. Um, They jumped for joy. They jumped for joy when we changed that to Culture Edition because it allowed them to then find that unique person rather than the person that went to the same school as the hiring manager because that's just lazy, you know. They jump for joy. And so they also had to go through a training, a much more rigorous training in terms of, let's just take the media team, on what you're looking for when you're looking for a data analyst. And we all of a sudden created a data set that the media team, media candidates have to go through. Because a hiring, I'm sorry, a recruiter on my team isn't going to know. They're just, that's not their, their strength. But them passing a data set will. Or on the creative team, if we need someone that has worked on spirits or automotive or whatever, you know, we need to be able to see a book. And I'm sure that they're going to be asked questions on how do you uh, how do you create campaigns when you know you're targeting people over 21. But let's be honest, you really want to target you know the the 17 year old that's going on spring break in Daytona. Going back to the culture of yes, what kind of advice or tip would you have for a director, a VP of HR that's trying to help move their organization to be a little more like, let's go, and, and that spirit that you've cultivated there? HR needs to be rebranded, number one. So let's do that, which means 
change the perception that you are police officers and compliance and benefit cops. That's the first thing. How do you do that? Well, you probably set up one-on-one. So you probably set up some culture jam sessions. Or you probably show the floor that you actually care about them in a, in a very authentic way. And that belonging and possibility and opportunity are what you care about. You come to work because you want to be their coach. And I can't tell you that that's happening today. So that's the first thing I would say. <laughs> then the second thing is, is literally like walking that walk. And maybe you need to get some training on it. You know, maybe you need to do, maybe you also need unbiased, uh, unbiased consciousness training. I mean, so I think we always need to be looking at ourselves in the mirror, no matter who we are, what we are, and to see like, hey, where could I be learning here? Because I want to grow and change too. So the answer is rebrand HR, you know, get out of the trenches, get into the people business and, and open yourself up to being on the floor with your peeps. Wonderful. Last question for you. Um, I have decided to learn to surf this summer. <laughs> what would be your one piece of advice for me? Oh my gosh. Well, I love that. A. B, I would really start doing some cobras, the yoga pose. Cobras, a lot, and strengthen your arms. And then start on land, start doing that move of like getting your feet under you very quickly. But if you're not going to, if you can't do the cobra, then stay on a boogie board. Thank you. I will report back. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Please do. Claude, thank you so much for being with us in the Talent Maker Studio. This has been an awesome conversation. Awesome. Thank you, Lauren. in the Talent Maker Studio. Tune in to our next episode as we explore stories of how great leaders and managers at companies like VaynerMedia, TalkDesk, Alphabet, and Bevy are transforming business by changing their approach to hiring. You can also learn more by visiting greenhouse.io backslash talentmakers. makers.